Board Rounds, episode number 32. The moment you step foot on campus as a medical student, you are gearing up for one of the biggest tests you'll ever have to take, USMLE Step 1 or Comlex Level 1. The medical school headquarters and board vitals are going to help you prepare for your first board exam with questions, pearls of information, and guidance to make sure you have what it takes to score high and match into your specialty of choice. Welcome to Board Rounds. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I am excited to come back after our hiatus with a new co-host, Dr. Mike Natter. Now, you may know Dr. Natter from Instagram, where he has amazing artwork depicting his journey through residency and beyond. He's an amazing artist using his drawings as a way to release his emotions and really paint a picture of what he's going through. Really amazing work. And we talk a lot about that in our episode today before we jump in to our topic of the day. So we will introduce Dr. Mike Natter from Board Vitals right now. Dr. Mike Natters, welcome to Board Rounds. How are you today? I'm doing well, Ryan. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have a new voice on the podcast, a new person to destroy me when it comes to step one, level one questions. Before we jump in for people who are new to board rounds um, and maybe don't know you, let's dive in a little bit to find out who Dr. Mike Natters is. So who, who are you? Who am I? So I am a PGY3 or a third year internal medicine resident at a hospital in New York City. I grew up in the Upper West Side of New York originally, and I actually started out in fine art. So I went to art school. I enjoyed drawing large charcoal uh, figures, and I was always interested in medicine because of my childhood diagnosis of type 1 diabetes. But I was always a little bit worried and a little bit scared of the math and the sciences, and it wasn't really a field that I excelled in. So I kind of put it off in the in the back burner. Finished undergrad, and in my last year of undergrad, I kind of had this epiphany of I really want to give this a go. I want to be a doctor, and specifically, I want to be an endocrinologist to help other folks with diabetes. Yeah. So I went and I did a post back uh, back in New York City, which was extremely challenging for me. Um, I somehow finagled my way into one medical school in Philadelphia, which I was <laughs> extremely happy with. Um, I had a fantastic time, but the best part about that medical school was they were extremely supportive and open-minded to my creative tendencies. And so I found myself really drawing to help me learn medicine. And it was in that drawing that I was able to do quite well and excel in medicine and also to help my, my peers learn and my patients learn and teach medical students and so on which I'm still continuing to do now in residency. Yeah. I love your artwork on Instagram. Even before I found out that you and I were going to be doing this podcast together, I've been following you on Instagram for a while. So I was, I was like fanboying a little bit when I'm like, oh, it's, <laughs> it's Dr. Natters. It's amazing. One of my favorite <laughs> pieces that you have is is the little comic with the the resident showing his ID to the patient or the, the patient looking at the resident's ID. And the, the resident is blurred out and and what's crystal clear is the ID with a pretty smiling resident face, clean shaven, et cetera. And then the next one is the residents in focus, just completely destroyed from from a night on the on the floor. It's crazy. It's uh, my uh, my comics have been very cathartic for me. Let me. Uh, there's plenty of material to draw from in residency, so it's been quite fun to to do that. How can someone find your Instagram account? 
Sure. So my Instagram is Mike.natter. It's uh, Mike, M-I-K-E dot Natter. And like Nancy, A-T-T-E-R. And then I'm also on Twitter at Mike underscore Natter. So pretty, uh, pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Nice. All right. Well, I'm excited to to dive into some more content for the students who are taking step one or level one. What kind of content do we have today? Looks like we're dumping, jumping into a little bit of cardiology today. All right. Why don't you go ahead and read a question and see if I can get it right? I'm ready. I'm ready to get your, get your uh, hat and your glasses on. Let's do it. <laughs> go ahead. We have a 60-year-old African-American female who's presenting to the emergency department for an evaluation of crushing substernal chest pain. It radiates to her jaw. She has diaphoresis and nausea. Her heart rate is 50 beats per minute. Blood pressure is 130 over 80. Her trope is 5.2. And an electrocardiogram is shown below. Morphine, isosorbide dinitrate, lisinopril, aspirin, and heparin are all administered. 30 minutes later, the patient complains of increased shortness of breath and dizziness. Her pulse is 55 a minute, it's regular, and her blood pressure is 90 over 60. Cardiac auscultation is unremarkable. Her extremities are cold and clammy. Which of the following is the most likely cause this patient's decompensation? Oh, man. Okay, so we can assume potentially, uh, we don't have an EKG, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But we can assume potentially, right, substernal chest pain, radiating to jaw, diaphoresis, nausea, right? Classic signs of an MI. Um, uh, the trope, so on on step one, I don't know, Mike, if you know this, on step one, will they give normals? So here it says trope is 5.2. Will they give normals? And just for the freaking out students, like I forget what the normal is. I believe they do. I believe there's a little button that you can click for the labs and then in parentheses typically is the normal range. Okay. All right, good. Um, and if I remember correctly, right, you shouldn't have troponin in your blood. That should be inside the cells. Correct. Is that right? Okay. So, so we know something's going on here. And then mm-hmm. they give tons of medications here um, that are administered. And then shortness of breath and dizziness. Okay. And then pulse 55, blood pressure is dropped. And cardiac auscultation is unremarkable. All right. So multiple choice questions. You want to go ahead and read the questions for us? Let's go for it. So some of the possible answer choices are A, ventricular wall rupture, B, papillary muscle rupture, C, fibrinous inflammation, D, reduced preload, or E, aortic dissection. Okay. So ventricular wall rupture, I think the patient would be a lot more than decompensated here um, Mm -hmm. at 55 beats a minute and uh, blood pressure at 90 over 60. So I think the the blood pressure would be a lot, a lot, lot lower than that. Uh, So I'm going to rule that one out. Um, The papillary muscle rupture, I'm assuming would lead to something on auscultation. So Why why do you say that? It's gonna mess with. Uh, it's gonna mess with one of the valves, and so it's just gonna exactly. you're gonna hear something there. Um, Very good. Uh, fibrinous inflammation. I have no idea what that is, but it doesn't sound like something that's gonna happen after 30 minutes. So I'm just gonna ignore that for now. Very and, good. Very good. <laughs> and I, I believe fibrinous inflammation. You're gonna expect to see you know days to weeks to months out, not necessarily acutely. Okay. Uh, reduced preload sounds very nice. Um, and so I don't see any reason why it can't be that. And then aortic dissection, uh, is tempting. I don't know. 
what, what would make you think, what would a classic symptom be for aortic dissection in terms of the subjective symptoms of the patient? What would you think? Um, good question. So my uncle had an aortic dissection, <laughs> uh, oh, and he, sorry to hear that. yeah, uh, it was led to his demise, unfortunately. Um, it, it, pain was his thing, right? He let, he had a lot of pain because blood flow stopped flowing to different parts of his body. Uh, what did, what did he characterize the pain as? Um, I don't know. It's a so good question. typically, and this might be more kind of like the textbook or what you're going to see in a test, uh, maybe less so clinically, but not necessarily. You're going to think of, um, you know, like a tearing pain. Mm. The pain is not going to be this substernal kind of elephant yes. on your chest pain. It's going to be more of something tearing inside of your chest. Yeah. And then very often the pain is going to radiate to your back. Okay. Yep. I remember that from med school. <laughs> uh, okay. So that that one um, is out. As far as uh, I'm trying to remember for aortic dissection, as far as pulse and blood pressure, mm -hmm. it, what what would that look like? Yeah. So very often, if you think about what's going on physiologically, you're actually going to the blood coming out of the left ventricle is going to have a very big disruption going through the aorta. And so oftentimes you may actually see a, a large um kind of uh, asymmetric uh, pulse pressure and blood pressure. So one arm may be significantly lower or higher than the, than the opposite arm. And so I believe that's a, a pretty common uh, physical exam finding. Okay. So going through all of those questions, I think I'm left with D as the most reasonable answer, probably just the secondary to them loading all the drugs onto her. Excellent. Maybe. Yeah. So that's correct. I agree. Um, let's, let's walk through why that might be. Okay. Or why E is, uh, rather D is the correct answer of reduced preload. So, so what do you think about with, with preload? What is preload? So preload is how much blood is in the ventricle before contraction. Exactly. And, you know, if we look at this case clinically, we have a woman, which is important to note because women may not necessarily present with an MI or myocardial infarction in the same way that you'd suspect a textbook man would. Um, however, in this particular vignette, it seems like she's coming in with substernal crushing chest pain. It radiates to her jaw and she's sweating and she's nauseous. Yep. These are classical signs of an MI or a heart attack. So the, the question's kind of handing us that on a, on a silver platter. She's yep. having an MI, she has a troponin. And like you said correctly, troponins in the blood are never normal. Troponins live inside the myocardial cells. And unless there's some damage to those cells, that stuff should not ooze out into the blood. So or, already we know she's having damage to her heart. It's happening acutely and she's symptomatic from it. What's interesting is that her heart rate, would you call that heart rate a 50 low, normal, or tachycardic? Um, it's kind of normal. It's normal-ish. Normal I would call yeah. that a little bit bradycardic, maybe a little bit yeah, slower yeah. than what I would expect. So <laughs> My, mine's usually around 50. So I'm like, oh, that's normal. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, for, for a healthy young guy who probably runs a lot, you probably live in the fifties and that's totally normal mm -hmm. for someone who's uh, under some stress, having a heart attack, you'd expect their heart rate to be much higher. Yeah. And not only that, um, 50 is actually technically uh, bradycardic. So it's under 60. And so, you know, it's a little bit, uh, head scratching. And so it makes me think of, um, it kind of gives us a clue as to maybe where is this damage in the heart? What, what vessel is really being affected? Um, because then we can kind of think of what controls that heart rate in the heart. Mm. So, so now we have, we have a couple of, uh, of good pieces of evidence. We have 
subjective evidence that um, she's having a heart attack with her symptoms. We have objective evidence that she's having a heart attack with her troponins. And if we could see the EKG, likely EKG changes. But now we're also getting some anatomic uh, kind of uh, evidence of where this uh, heart attack might be taking place. So when a heart attack affects a vessel that's going to mess with either the SA node, you can expect that there might be some issues in terms of your rate and rhythm. Yeah. And in this case, if she's a little bit bradycardic, I'm going to suspect that one of her nodes is going to be um, the, the culprit or one of the vessels that's, that's supplying the node is going to be the culprit. And when that happens, you are going to become severely preload dependent. Preload dependent means if someone is not going to be able to beat either fast enough or strong enough, the fluid that you're going to load up the heart with needs to be sufficient in order for you to perfuse the rest of your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. So that a student listening to this and uh, um, <laughs> me putting myself in that student's shoes, when you talk about that, I start to freak out back. Like, is that something they're going to ask me on, on step one? Like if, if I get a vignette like this, where the, the pulse looks like something or blood pressure looks like something, and I know they had a, a uh, an, an MI, will the question be like, which, <laughs> which, uh, coronary artery is most likely affected here? Do you think that's something that they'll test on step one? I think if they, if we could see the EKG, I think, unfortunately that is fair game. Okay. So the EKG is essentially a map of yeah. the coronaries based on where the electrical activity is changed. So they'll give it, they would give you a classic finding. Mm -hmm. They would, they would say you would see things in, you know, certain, certain lead distribution. So specifically you'd see things like two, three in AVF for inferior leads for ST elevations, uh, sorry, the ST elevations in two, three AVF for the, uh, that would show, um, also a reciprocal SE depression mm. um, in, uh, in the, uh, in, I believe in AVL. And so when that happens, that's when you know that you're in a specific ter territory. And so there's usually a good um, kind of diagram uh, that would be worth memorizing where you have an idea of the coronaries and then the correlated um, leads on the EKG. Awesome. Anything else that we should know about any, any kind of, uh, pearls for any of the other answer choices that may be good to know? So I think you, you tapped into, so the papillary muscle rupture. So the papillary muscles are what are kind of, uh, holding onto the leaflets of the valves. And so mm -hmm. I agree, uh, you had a very astute, um, observation that there was no oscillatory findings, meaning you couldn't really hear anything. You weren't hearing any murmurs or anything else. Mm -hmm. If you had a papillary muscle rupture, you would definitely be hearing, you know, this, this leaflet just flailing around and smacking on things. You would hear something. So that's yeah. a very good point. Um, some other things would be, uh, you, you're also correct in saying that a ventricular wall rupture in an aortic dissection, this person would deteriorate and probably would have zero pulse. Yeah. Um, there's just not enough blood to be pumped around the heart in that case, because you basically would be having um, no forward flow with no ventricular wall and you'd have no, um, basically no preload or no blood to push around with aortic rupture or aortic dissection because the blood would be going into either a false lumen or just ruptured and bleeding out. Mm. Okay. Awesome. Well, Mike, it's great to have you here on the Board Rounds podcast and part of the Board Vitals team. I think this was a good first episode to uh, to to get you going into the the podcasting world. So, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This is fantastic. All right, so there you have it. I'm excited to have Dr. Natter on the podcast to to really help bring Board Rounds to another level to help you on your 
level one or step one exam. If you have any suggestions for our podcast, just shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. And don't forget to go check out Board Vitals, a company dedicated to helping you score as high as you can on your step one or level one exam with their up-to-date, intense QBanks, helping you really pick apart what you need to know for your board exam. Again, boardvitals.com, and you can save 15% off of their QBanks by using the promo code BOARDROUNDS. It's all one word, BOARDROUNDS. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Board Rounds. This is MedEd Media.